Thank you for checking out the Collective Church podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Easter Sunday is right around the corner, and we would love for you to make plans to be at Collective that day. It's going to be an amazing Sunday, so mark your calendars for April 9th. You won't want to miss it. For more information, make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church. Now let's get into Sunday's message. I recently brought my youngest daughter, Harper, on a dad date to Sweet Frog to get frozen yogurt. And if you've ever been to a frozen yogurt place, you know how it goes. Like, when we went up, we picked out our bowls, you know, we chose our flavor, we pulled the lever so we can get our frozen yogurt. You then go, we scooped our toppings, and we put our bowls on the scale to weigh them, and then we picked out our spoons. And if you think about it, it's a great business model because we literally did all of the work. But then as I went to pay, a tip screen came up. <laughs> and at the top, it said in these big, bold letters, tell us how we did. And I thought, you, you didn't do anything. <laughs> like, I, I did all the work. You just hit the button once it was on the scale to tell me how much I needed to pay. And if anything, I feel like I should get a percentage off because I managed to make sure that my four-year-old scooped her own ingredients without a meltdown and did not get them into the other containers, contaminating everything. And so there I was, like, wrestling with what to do. I felt pressured and I felt guilted into giving a tip, but I also felt annoyed because I did all the work. And it was a weirdly stressful moment in my life. And so finally, I decided to decline the tip. You can judge me for Yeah, OK, OK. <laughs> oh, man. First service was really judgy. You guys are not as judgy. I appreciate that. Uh, so, so the thing is, I couldn't figure out how to do it, though. Like, I couldn't figure out how to decline. I was, I was looking for like some sort of hidden X on the screen that would just let me pay my $30 for two cups of frozen yogurt. <laughs> Meanwhile, Harper is trying to drag me away because she wants to eat her dessert, clearly not caring that I'm having this existential crisis while I was standing there. And so what I did was what a lot of you do, and I just hit one of the options, and then I moved on. Right? And maybe I'm the only one who feels this way. I don't, I don't think so. But these tip screens are out of control. And I can't help but think that maybe churches are next. Right, they're going to start ending services like this. Have a great week. Just, you know, click a button. And out. You know, it's like, hey, you just got to sign. You're like, where do I sign? You're like, I don't know. You got to figure it out for yourself. Right? You kind of feel like this is the next thing that's going to happen. Right? Because there you are faced with a decision that you didn't know you were going to have to make. And while I am just kidding, I, I tend to know a thing or two about church. I, I have this weird feeling that this might come up at some point in churches. But the feelings are kind of the same, aren't they? For some of you, this is what your experience has been like when it comes to giving and the church. You felt obligated. You felt forced. You didn't quite understand why. You felt kind of trapped in doing it. You couldn't figure out how to get off the screen, so you just clicked one of them and you walked away. It wasn't about trust. It wasn't about your faith. It was about guilt and pressure. But that's not what God teaches when it comes to giving and generosity. And because so many of us have had such a bad experience with this in the past, it's messing with our hearts. It's messing with our faith. And it's messing with our impact. And so right now, we're in this series called I Heart. And the main verse for this series is Matthew 6, 21, when Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the de- desires of your hearts will also be. All right, and so Jesus says, where our money is, that's where our heart is. 
While I Heart is a series about giving and generosity, it's also about our hearts and where we want them to be and understanding that our money actually dictates that. And so last week, I kicked things off uh, and we learned that money is a spiritual thing, right? This is why money messes us up so much. We also learned that giving is a matter of the heart. And I said that one of the number one goal for this series is for everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus to grow in their generosity. And for some people, that means to put their trust in God and to start giving for the first time. For some people, that means to stretch to seek discomfort because you've kind of been in this safe place for a really long time. For some people, it's going to be stop giving every once in a while when things are easier or when you remember or when you're not busy. It's to make it a habit. It's, it's a discipline, something that is a culture in your life. But last week, the challenge wasn't to give, right? It was for us to take a step back and do a heart check and figure out where are our hearts and where do we want them to be. In fact, I didn't even share last week how you can give at Collective, but some of you didn't listen to what I said last week, and you took a next step in giving anyways, which is fine. I guess that wasn't the goal. And so a lot of you came up after service and said, can you teach me how to give at Collective? And I said, no, like I'm not going to do it. But for this week, let me just get this out of the way up front uh, for those of you who are already resting or already in that place. Um, let me walk you through the best ways to give at Collective. There's three ways that you can give at Collective. The first way is you can drop off your offering, your giving in the gray baskets at the double doors on your way out. Now, if you don't carry cash or checks, or if you're in your 20s and you don't know what checks are, just download the app, okay? The app is going to be the best way for you to give. Church Center, select Collective as your home church, says give on the bottom bar. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, because for some reason you have a flip phone still, um, you can head to mycollective.church give. Okay, those are the ways that you can give. It's that simple. We can take that away. We're not going to talk about it again. Along with this series, though, we are launching a small group that will meet for multiple weeks called Money Matters. This is for anyone in here that wants to take control of their finances. And it's going to hit on topics like paying off debt, setting a budget, and becoming generous. And as we continue in this series, if you are someone who wants to grow in your generosity, but you feel stuck, this is your next step. Right? This is where you need to start. You need to join this group. Right? You need to have conversations with other people who are in similar places. You need to have leaders in your life that are going to help you and teach you and hold you accountable and support you as you wrestle with your finances. And just like everything else, you can sign up through the Church Center app. You click on coming up, click on sign up, or you can head to Next Steps after church today, and they'll help you get in the group. And one last reminder. If you are a first-time guest at Collective, or if you are not a follower of Jesus, what I'm talking about today in regard to giving doesn't apply to you. But like I said last week, this is still a great series to be a part of because you're going to learn a lot about this church. You're going to learn a lot about where our hearts are as a group and, and what we are trying to do and what God's asking us to do in this community. And so I'm really glad you're here because this is a great time to check this church out and figure out, can I be a part of this church in the long run? And today, what we're going to do is we're going to be in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible, and we're going to read a message that God gave to Malachi, who was a prophet. Prophets were people that God would speak directly to. He'd give them a message, and then he would send them to go and deliver that message to the Israelites, to the people who followed him. And out of that became the book of Malachi. And the theme of this book is that God's people have broken their promises with God. And one of the promises that they broke was in regard to giving and trusting God. 
Right? So God gave this message to Malachi to deliver to his people. He said this, Malachi 3, verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and, if I will not, and, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Now, let me define a few of the words that God uses here. Let's start with the word tithe. Typically, you only see this or hear this word in church. Tithing is the biblical word for giving 10% of our income to God. In fact, the word tithe is Hebrew, which is the language of the Old Testament. It's Hebrew for 10th, right? It's, it's really that simple. And this is a command that's seen throughout the Bible that God gives to his people. Now, let's talk about that word, the storehouse, in the temples where Jewish people would worship, like in their churches, there was an extended hallway that was divided into numerous rooms. And the rooms were used for storage of tithes consisting of grains and wine, oil, and money. The closest comparable institution in our cultural context is the local church, right? And when I say local church, what I mean is the church that you belong to, okay? Because back in the Bible, they didn't have 50 churches in one city. They had one, right? And so local church for us is this church. If you belong to this church, if, you, if this is the church where your life is being changed and impacted, that's what they're talking about. And so this is really important because it's, it's good to give to godly organizations, but the tithe per God belongs to the church. Now, why? The reason is because the church is a haven of grace in a world of ungrace, because the church alone is the hope of the world. And all other Christian organizations are to support and augment the core community of God's people, right? And so now that we understand the, those terms, we understand those words uh, in, a, in a deeper way, let's read through Malachi 3 again. In verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And so here's the first thing to write down today if you're taking notes. Tithing is the baseline of generosity in the Bible. It's the expectation and the bar that God sets for people who follow him. In Leviticus 27, it says that one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart as holy. Deuteronomy 14 says to set aside a tenth of all your field's produce each year. In Matthew 23, Jesus praises tithing while encouraging people not to neglect other aspects of their faith. And so what he's saying is you should do that thing, but not at the cost of the other parts of our faith as well, because that's not the only thing. Now, immediately, if you say this or start to have this conversation around some self-educated Bible scholars, some of them will push back and say that tithing is an Old Testament thing, right? And I've read that. I've had that conversation before. I've read the books where people argue at the websites for people who are sitting in their basement trying to interpret scripture. I've seen those things before, right? And what they'll say was that this was a rule put in place pre-Jesus, and because Jesus died on the cross, we don't have to follow that law anymore. And part of that argument is true, because Jesus died on the cross, we don't have to follow the laws in the Old Testament the way that they did. Right? That's why we don't follow the Jewish kosher laws when it comes to our diet. That's why we don't have priests sacrifice rams and bulls for us. That's why we don't have to follow the holy days, like the Feast of the Tabernacles. Right? We are free from that law. And in the New Testament, Jesus says his one law is to love God and love people. But here's what those people don't understand when they make that argument. Tithing existed in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right? It was a culture in their lives before God even talked about it with his people. And so when Jesus teach about giving and generosity, there's this cultural understanding that this is the standard 
that people who followed God would live by. In fact, this wasn't argued or debated during that time. In fact, it wasn't actually argued until hundreds of years after Jesus' resurrection when wealth became more accessible to people, right? Which, which makes sense. They got more of it, so they wanted to keep more of it. And one thing I do want to point out is that there is a difference between the words giving and tithes and offerings. If you've been to church before or if you've been around church culture, sometimes pastors will use those words interchangeably, but they're all different words. They all mean very different things. A tithe is 10%. An offering is anything you give above your tithe. And giving is just kind of this generic term if you give less than 10%. And the reason why I point this out is because Christian people will say that they're tithing, but they're just giving, and words matter. And I know this is gonna create tension in some people, but here's the thing, go to heaven, argue with God about it, okay? Like, I didn't make this up. And so if you're giving 4% to collective and 3% to a Christian organization, 3% to a sponsor child, it's not tithing. Because God says that our first responsibility is to tithe to our local church. Then if you wanna support a mission or sponsor a child, that would be what's called an offering. Right? And this is the fullness of, of generosity. Like this is where it lives and breathes. A lot of Christian people will say, I tithe the multiple organizations that I support or I spread my tithe out among other Christian things. And what I've learned after being in ministry for 13 years is that when people qualify their giving, it's because they think they've found a loophole. It's because we think we've found some sort of loophole in what God's teaching. But studies show that only 3% of Christians actually tithe. 3%. And so there's no way these Christians are tithing to the organizations they support. And the most generous people I've ever met in my life don't look for loopholes. In fact, the most generous people I know tithe to the local church and they give an offering to the organizations they love because that's what God encourages and teaches us to do. And studies show that 75% of people who tithe actually give more than 10%. The most generous people are the most generous people. Right? And that makes sense. Because the most generous people I've ever experienced in my life never qualify or justify their giving. They just do it, right? They just trust God. They don't try to find and talk their way around it. And here's the second thing we learned from today's scripture. Tithing is about equal sacrifice and not equal giving. And this is why God is so wise, right? This is why money is a spiritual thing and why God understands money. And he understands that asking everyone to give the same amount is not possible. In fact, it's unhealthy and it's unfair, and so he tells everyone who follows him to sacrifice in the same way, right? If we're all called to do this thing together, right? And Jesus doubles down on this. One time, Jesus is at the temple and he's watching people as they're putting their money in the collection box, which if you think about it, is really uncomfortable, okay? Like imagine going to church and Jesus is like sitting there watching you when it comes to your offering. We don't do that. Jesus can, he can do whatever he wants. We think that's weird. We're not going to do that. And so Jesus is watching these people put money into the offering. And it starts with the wealthiest people putting in large amounts. But then a poor widow comes and drops in two small coins. And this is what happens in Mark 12. It says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. And so Jesus praises the sacrifice, not the amount of money that she gave. This is why that 10% number is so important. It's about equal sacrifice and not equal giving. And some of the most generous people in this church aren't the ones who make the most money or give the most money away. It's the people who have sacrificed the most. 
It's the people who continued to give during a pandemic, even though their job was impacted. People who are paying off student loans, but continue to choose generosity. People who work part-time jobs, but continue to honor God through their giving. People who have slowly increased their giving every year because they're owning their growth when it comes to their generosity. And to think that God set it up this way so that we don't think our generosity is tied to some magical amount of money. And the thing is, this should give us peace because God cares more about our sacrifice. He cares more about our obedience than the amount of money we give. Because the whole point of this series is what we're learning is it's not really about money. It's about trust in him. It's about our hearts and where we want them to be. And here's the third thing I want you to write down today. Tithing prioritizes God and his church. Throughout the Bible, another phrase that's used for tithing is this phrase of first fruits. And so the tithe is the first tenth of all of our earnings. Our author Mark Moore uh, says that when we give a tithe to God, it should come first. He continues, don't make the mistake of giving your last 10% because that's merely a tip that says, thank you. But a tithe is the first 10% given to God that says, I submit to you as owner of all of it. Right? When you start with your generosity, you're not just talking about the 10%. You're saying, God, I'm going to give you this first knowing that I trust you to take care of me with the other 90. Right? It's a full faith thing. And so it's the idea that before anything else gets our money, we put God first. We put honoring God first. We put our trust in God first. Right? This is one of the reasons when we talk about giving out collective, we'll encourage people to set up a recurring giving online. It's not this idea of set it and forget it. It's to make sure that nothing gets in the way of our generosity, that it's a priority, that it's consistent, that it's a discipline and a habit. And this is something that Christians really struggle with. In fact, right before God told his followers to bring the tithe to the storehouse, he said this in verse eight. He said, should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And he responds by saying, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. And so what is God saying? God is saying that the people who follow him have not been honoring him with their money, with their resources. And honestly, things aren't much different today. George Barna and the Barna Group, they do research specializing in the studying of religious beliefs and behaviors. And last year, they put out a study that shared that 87% of all Bible-believing Christians give between zero and 1% each year, 87%. And that phrase, Bible-believing, is really important. It implies people who follow Jesus, but people who also would say that they're rooted in Scripture, right? That Scripture is the foundation of their life, that Scripture is guiding their life. So these are not simply people who, like, have this, like, general belief in God, but people who say that they are active in their faith. The study also found that 43% of Bible-believing Christians under 40 only give when it feels right to them. (laughs) Which I'm like, when does it ever feel right, guys? Come on. On average, Christians give just 2.5% of their income to God. For comparison, during the Great Depression, Christians gave, on average, 3.3%. People had less but were more generous. And so summing the study up, just like the Israelites, we're struggling to do what God asks us to do when it comes to our money. Now, I bragged about Collective last week, so I'm going to brag about Collective again this week because I can tell you that more than 3% of the people in this church tithe. Just like most things when it comes to this church, Collective isn't normal, right? We're not your average church. We aren't average when it comes to growth. We're not average when it comes to people putting their faith in Jesus. We're not average 
when it comes to people being vulnerable and real about their brokenness. And we're not average when it comes to giving. And there are many families in this church that are recklessly generous and they prioritize God and what he's doing in this church. And we feel that every single Sunday, right? You feel that every, you might not know what it is, but one of the things you feel every Sunday when you come to this place, when you celebrate what God is doing is the generosity of so many people in this church. And so, ba- so tithing is the baseline of generosity. And tithing is about equal sacrifice, but not equal giving. And tithing puts God and his church first when it comes to our money, right? When we do these things, and then what happens, right? Our heart follows. Because where our treasure is, that's where our hearts will be. You know, last week, uh, I mentioned that if anyone had any questions about collective and our finances or anything involving money, that they could come talk to me, right? And just like any other Sunday at collective, if you have questions, just come find me in the lobby. And the same is true for every week of this series. If you have questions, if you're wrestling with this, just come and talk to me about it. And last week, one person did. One person came and found me and they asked a really good question. She asked if Ray, my wife and I, give to Collective. And whenever we talk about giving at Collective, I always wrestle with how much of my own life I should share. And so in full transparency, I'm gonna talk about this, uh, even though this makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Um, Since day one, Ray and I have tithed to Collective. And we do this based on our gross income and not our net income. Now, Christians have debated this topic for a really long time when it comes to tithing. Um, So here's why we give on our gross and not our net. We want to give to God first, right? And we know that if we give on our post-tax income, we're not actually giving to God first. We're giving to the government first and God second, which I think is part of the tension that we have in the church right now, isn't it? Right, that's that's an issue. And in 2018 and 2021, uh, when I taught on giving at Collective and I challenged everyone here to take a step forward in their giving, we did as well. And so Ray and I actually give just under 12% to Collective. And this isn't easy for us. Um, this, is a, this is a tough thing to do sometimes. Um, it's especially not easy for me because I grew up very, very poor. My mom ran an in-home daycare and my dad was a contractor, but he didn't like working as much as he liked drinking. And so there was always financial stress and pain in our household. A few years ago, I was listening to Pastor Chuck Mingo preach on the topic of generosity, and he asked this question. He said, what is your earliest memory of money? Right, good or bad, what is it? And he continued to say that most of what we feel right now about money is based on our earliest memories of it. Right, so think about that for for a second. What is your earliest memory of money? Because I have memories of being kicked out of our townhouse and living with my grandparents because the rent wasn't paid when I was in kindergarten. I have memories of pretending, turning off all the lights like we weren't home and landlords were coming around looking for money. Memories of picking out the right type of cheese because we're on the WIC program. And if you grew up that way, you, you know what that feels like. I have memories of us being afraid every time we got sick because we never had insurance. Right? Memories of free lunch. I have memories of being bullied when I was in middle school because we were so poor. From time to time, um, people at Collective will ask me how I keep my shoes so white. Uh, and usually I joke that I stiff arm my own children in the face to keep them away from me, um, which I kind of do, just to be honest. 
But the, the real story is that when I was a kid, I was lucky to get a new pair of shoes every year. And so when I was in middle school and high school, uh, I learned how to take care of my shoes to make them last as long as possible. And I still treat my shoes like that today. And so my relationship with money growing up was awful. Right? It wasn't good. And the reason I share this is because money has always caused me pain. It's embarrassed me. I have felt shame because of money. Most of the fights and insecurities I had when Ray and I first got married were around money. And so I don't tithe because my parents created that culture in me. And I don't tithe because I work for a church. I worked for three churches before this one, and I didn't tithe to any of them. Probably the wrong thing to do. You know, I wish, I wish my pastor would have led me better. But Ray and I don't tithe because our parents gave us financial stability that we have this foundation to stand on. We tithe because we trust that God can do more with a little of it than what we can do with all of it. And most months, we don't even feel it. But some months we do. And I'm not gonna lie, there are times when giving feels like a burden. When we see our friends who don't follow Jesus buying that bigger house or going on that two-week vacation or driving those nicer cars, we start to get into our head about it, we start to doubt about it. What we do is we come here and we see what God is doing in this church and in our lives and we're reminded that we don't give because we have to, we give because we get to. And when we celebrate people putting their faith in Jesus and we hear stories about how this place has restored faith, restored hope, restored peace, when we see marriages that don't just exist but are thriving, we are reminded that there isn't anything better that we can invest in than what God is doing here. Right? That's why we do it. That's why I can feel so confident talking about it here as a church. Now, there's one more thing, though, that I want to point out from what God said to Malachi. So let's read this again in Malachi 3. So God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So here's the last thing I want you to write down today. Tithing opens the floodgates of heaven. And what's really interesting about that phrase, the floodgates of heaven, is it's actually the same phrase used in Genesis in reference to the time when God flooded the earth to restore his creation. Right? And it feels a little weird that we use the same phrase for this like total destruction to be compared to this blessing. But what I think God is doing is he's trying to help us fully understand the magnitude of the blessing that he will give us when we trust him. It's a full blessing. Right? It's a world-changing blessing. It's felt and it's seen. It's a total newness. And when I think about God, how God has blessed this church and the people in it, I often feel like collective is a little bit of heaven on earth. I feel like this place is kind of this oasis in the wilderness of life that we're wandering through. Right? And I know, I know some of you feel that way. And it feels like God has opened up the floodgates of heaven on this church. In the past five years, we have celebrated 130 people proclaiming their faith in Jesus and getting baptized. This includes teenagers who started in this church as elementary-aged kids. This includes men in recovery for addiction, baptizing people fighting for recovery and addiction. This includes people who came here faithless. And the reality is there are going to be more people in heaven because of what God is doing in this church. 
It'll be more crowded. That's a good thing. We've seen marriages healed. We've seen addictions broken. We've seen faith restored. We've seen life redeemed. We as a church have been able to relieve medical debt in Maryland. We've been able to help start multiple churches. In just a few months, we'll pass 100,000 pounds of food donated. And this feels like such a blessing, right? And it really is. But when I read Malachi and I understand what God is asking us to do as his people who follow him, I realize that this is just a sprinkle of his blessings. What God has done in this church isn't even close to a flood. It feels like it is. And it feels like it is because the world sucks, because life is hard. And so it feels like a flood, but it's just so little compared to what he wants to do and what he can do in this church. What God has done in this church and in our lives over the past five years isn't even close to what he can do and really what he wants to do. And those are God's words, they're not mine. So imagine with me what it would feel like if the floodgates of heaven opened up on this church and our city. Right, what if instead of hundreds of baptisms, it's thousands of baptisms? Baptisms just like the one that we're going to celebrate in a few moments. Right, today, we're going to celebrate Ashley as she's getting baptized. And, and, and really, I'm not sure what I can say about what Ashley has been through in her life outside of the fact that it has been full of pain. It has been full of loss, culminating the passing of her ex-husband a few years ago. But she'll get in this trough today because she's ready to wash away her past. And while she has felt God's presence in her life through all of those trials, she shared with us that she's ready to set example for her family on the way that God has worked in her life. And he's wiping away all the ugly that she's experienced. What if it was a flood of moments like that? What if instead of renting a building, we get to buy a building one day? Right? A building that has even more room so people can experience grace and endless second chances. A building where hundreds of kids, hundreds of students can hear every single week that they are loved by God. Really, what if it's a building that's a beacon of light in this community? Right? Not, not just an eyesore, but a place where people look at it and go, hope is there. Life is there. Restoration is there. Health is there. But not only that, what if we could create space in a future building to meet the needs of our community in ways that our community isn't? Really, that's why the church exists. And so much of it is we depend on outside organizations to take care of people. That's our job. And so what if we had the space to do that? What if we had the space when it comes to mental health or food insecurity or addiction and recovery that no other organization can offer? Right? Things that we can't really do here. What if instead of once, we're able to pay off medical debt every year to release people from the burdens that they feel? What if we can make counseling more accessible for people who don't have it covered by their insurance? What if instead of tens of thousands of pounds of food, it's hundreds of thousands of pounds of food every single year? What if it was so much food that the organizations couldn't handle it, so we had to figure out how to get rid of it? Right, what if we took on that burden? One of the things that I've been thinking about this week as I've written this sermon, thinking about food and, and food insecurity and what comes next is uh, the, the crazy idea of what if we bought a food truck, right? Not to make money, we don't need to worry about that, but because of the generosity of this church, what if we were able to buy a food truck that bought, brought hot meals and groceries to kids in the summer when there was this need, right? Because backpack programs exist and they do a great job during the school year, but what happens in those two months? Right, speaking from my own life experience, I know those two months are harder than any other two months of the year. What if we could solve that problem? Right, what if we did that? Right, and I don't know if that's possible. Like, I don't know anything about that. What I do know, though, 
is that God can do immeasurably more than what we ask or imagine. And so if what God has done in this church over the past five years is what we thought he could do, imagine how much more he could do. And, and don't miss this. When God says this, he says the phrase, test me in this, because this is a promise from God. God wants the opportunity to prove his faithfulness to us. He wants to prove that he can do even more. Now, I do, I do need to say this, though. Anytime a church talks about money, anytime a church talks about generosity, anytime a church talks about tithing, this part of the conversation has to come up. This isn't the prosperity gospel, right? There's a movement in the church right now that's just hot garbage, and you need to avoid it as much as possible, right? This isn't that if you tithe, God will then make you rich in return. It's not the stock market, okay? It's not that you give God 10 and he returns 11 in a certain amount of time, and maybe that is how God blesses you. Maybe that, that does happen in your life, but that's not what he's promising. And that's not why we give. We give because it's the blessing of grace. It's a blessing of healing. It's a blessing of relationships. It's a blessing of being able to see what God is doing in this church and in this city and say, I didn't cause that, but I get to be a part of that. This Christmas, uh, I was at a, a party hanging out with some guys who go to collective. And one of them asked me, you know, how far is collective going to go? And a few weeks after that, at starting point, someone asked me the same question. And this is one of my favorite questions when it comes to collective. Because I believe that God will have collective go as far as we want it to go. And it'll make as big of an impact as we want it to make. It'll grow as big as we want it to grow. Because here's what is true about churches. Nothing predicts the future impact or growth of a church better than the generosity of the people who go there. Nothing. Nothing will predict our impact more than that. All right, and I don't know what this looks like, but I know that God wants to open the floodgates of heaven, and he says that it starts with our generosity. And so imagine with me, what would marriages in Frederick look like? What would students in Frederick look like? What would mental health in Frederick look like? What would food insecurity in Frederick look like? What would faith in Frederick look like? if God opened up the floodgates of heaven because of the faithfulness and generosity of people in this church. I know that Frederick would never be the same. I know that people moving to this place would see that something's different here. It's not because we have a bunch of hipster restaurants. It's because people trust God and they give generously and the floodgates of heaven have opened up on this place. And I think that's what we want. And that's where we want our hearts to be. Let's pray. God, as we continue um, to talk about money, God, as we continue to talk about tithing, and um, God, our, our earliest of memories of, of money really mess us up on this. God, our, our experiences when it comes to money in our marriages really mess us up on this. And so God, um, right now we feel a tension. God, right now we feel uncomfortable. God, right now we feel uh, encouraged. God, maybe right now we feel discouraged. But God, no matter how we are feeling, I hope we wrestle with this idea that our generosity can change this world. God, that our, our generosity and our trusting of you when it comes to money can open up the floodgates of heaven to cover this place, change this place, renew this place, restore this place, not just this church, but this city. And so God, I pray that we wrestle again this week with where our hearts are and where we want them to be. God, because I, I know there are so many people in this church who would say that you have changed their life. 
And they want their heart to be for things like that. But God, you teach us that our money dictates that. So God, as we wrestle with this, as we feel uncomfortable with this, God, I, I pray that we, we lean in, that we listen to you, that we trust you. Um, God, really that the desire of our hearts is for the floodgates of heaven to open up on this church, in this city, in this region, in this world. God, we're thankful um, that you've impacted our lives. But God, we pray for immeasurably more. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.